Hey everyone, welcome back yet again to the Warrior Monk Podcast. I'm excited to get into this episode of the podcast. I had a guest who was very gracious to offer me a bit of his time because he's getting involved with a lot more stuff within the online community and his time is precious, but he sat down with me for a good conversation. You might have heard of him or through either the Joe Rogan podcast being mentioned or seen him on Instagram or YouTube. He goes by the handle McDojo or McDojo Life. His name's Rob. And if you guys don't know, McDojo is kind of a disparaging term to refer to martial arts schools, which are more trying to take advantage of people uh, from a business aspect and not really truly trying to teach a form of martial arts, a form of self-defense, a form of discipline, a form of mental, physical, spiritual fitness as martial arts really should be at their core. So Rob kind of gets a little bit into what he's seen with this phenomenon within the martial arts community. And we had a really good conversation I think you're really going to enjoy. But before we do, I would really like to put out there that if you've enjoyed the Warrior Monk podcast previously, if you would like to see this podcast kind of gain more traction and start producing some more content, I really like to. I'm looking forward to trying to get some more video content and actually start launching on YouTube. But I need some support from people listening to the podcast. And so I would invite you to please go to the Patreon site at patreon.com slash WMPodcast. Again, that's patreon.com, the letter W, the letter M, podcast. And if you can and you feel like you want to, uh, contribute either a small amount or a larger amount. We've got some paraphernalia, some uh, merchandise that you can uh, get awarded to you for donating to the podcast. And uh, it would help me out a great deal in getting production stuff underway and expanding the Warrior Monk podcast moving forward. So there's the plug for the show. And that's all I've got for today's intro before getting into the conversation with Rob at McDojo Life. All right. Well, today I've got a very cool guest and someone I've been looking forward to speaking to for a while. Rob at McDojo Life. Uh, dude, thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So thank you again for coming on and uh, it's good to have you here. Yeah, man. Not a problem. I love talking shop. So anytime. Happy to do it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, if you don't mind, uh, can you give a little bit of background on yourself? And this is kind of what you've been doing with McDojo, McDojo Life and kind of how you've stepped maybe through some of your martial arts experience or life and how this has kind of become your thing. Yeah, man, that's a really broad question. Um, Well, I I guess I'll start off. Everybody wants the resume question. So I've been in the the industry for about 25 years now. I'm a third degree black belt in karate, a third degree black belt in something called the Sejodo, which is a weapon system. No one's really heard of. It just basically means I'm good at nunchucks. Uh, a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, six and zero amateur boxer, four and two amateur kickboxer. I was on an international kickboxing team for two years called Team Full Circle. So we traveled internationally and kickboxed in tournaments. Um, and then I owned a martial arts studio for about four years before I got bought out. Um, and then I have been doing McDojo Life now for about a decade. And I've been doing martial arts business consulting for about the same amount of time. Very cool, man. You have a very good resume. I think anybody that would... Uh want to approach you and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, you're the stuff that you post is, you know, you don't, you, you don't really understand it. I think you, your, your resume and your amount of experience alone is enough to refute that. And, and you're multidisciplined too. You're not just a guy who's stepped in one world of strict, you know, BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu where, you know, one discipline. So I, I always appreciate people who are, um, you know, multi multifaceted. And, and that's part of the whole theme of this po- podcast anyway, is about being balanced and, 
being able to kind of work on the multi multifaceted version of yourself. So can I ask, you said about 10 years ago, you started with uh, McDojo Life and the McDojo content. Um, can I ask what like what inspired you? Um, for anybody who doesn't know, who doesn't follow you yet or doesn't really know, a lot of your content is based around like the kind of weird side of martial arts and the kind of, um, I don't, I don't even know how to call it. I guess it's like the almost occult piece of it where people kind of are almost just following certain senseis, dojo leaders, masters in what doesn't really appear to be true martial arts. So how did you kind of get into following that and posting about it? Um, well, I, you know, I've been doing, and I've been in the industry for quite a while before I decided to to start working on Make Dojo Life. Um, but it really came about because of the conversation that I had with a student, a brand new student, actually. So I was teaching at a jiu-jitsu academy at the time. Um, I was like a program director. I taught their kids classes. I was their striking coach. So I did like, I wore a lot of hats. Um, but at that day, it was a noon class and I was supposed to be just working the desk. And I had my instructor, my boss called me and he was like, hey man, I'm sick. I'm not gonna be able to do class. And that was never a dude that called in sick. Like I never saw him sick. So I knew that he must've actually been sick. So I was like, yeah, man, not a problem. So I taught the class. And then afterwards, because it was a noon class, you have like a hodgepodge of people who either are self-employed or have to go immediately back to work or literally have nothing else to do that day because they're off. And so you usually have like big gaps between the noon class and the next class. So we would just stand around, chit chat, you know? And so we got on the subject of McDojo's and we talked about it for quite a while in depth. And then everyone left except for one guy. And that guy had only been his first official class as a member and his only second martial arts class ever. <laughs> so like he was brand new. Right. And he pulled me to the side after everyone left. He goes, hey, man, I'm a little embarrassed. He goes, you guys were talking about a McDojo. He goes, I don't know what that is. Could you kind of explain it to me? And I was like, oh, OK. So I kind of gave him what would now be the basis for the five rules of the page. And uh, he goes, oh, well, why, why doesn't anybody do anything about that? And I was kind of like stumped. I was like, that is a really good question. <laughs> like I have absolutely no idea why no one does anything about that. And so because of that question of why doesn't anyone do anything about that, I couldn't get that question out of my mind. So that night I just started looking into it a little bit more and I thought about it logically. There is no regulating body to the martial arts industry whatsoever. Right. Doesn't you might have them in smaller factions, but as a whole, it doesn't exist. There is no requirement to start a martial arts school. You literally could have absolutely no experience in martial arts whatsoever. Create your own, start a school, and as long as you're charismatic enough and a good salesperson, you can get people to follow you. So um, so the next day I started McDojo Life specifically because of that question. Yeah, that's that's a great point, man. It's there's you know, I, I had a recent uh, conversation with uh an instructor I was working with and um, he brought up the topic of Mickey Mouse instructors, right? Where uh, people who don't have the knowledge or the experience kind of latch on to a, to a, to a sensei, to a master, to an instructor and kind of idolize them and they become their, their Mickey Mouse, right? Like they're the, they're the hero. And sometimes it's not always someone that should be followed that doesn't necessarily have the best intentions, may not have the best experience so it's it's definitely uh, there, and it's something I want to kind of touch on more. We can we can talk about, especially when it comes to I guess what's become more popular and, and industrialized. But um, yeah, I, you know I think it's it's good on you too to take, kind of take that on as a mission to kind of help people become more aware of it. So what what do you think kind of 
you know, we talked about the whole kind of like being charismatic and maybe, you know, if you want to get the psychology of it, maybe some like narcissistic uh, type tendencies with certain people that are running these schoolhouses or these dojos. But wh- where do you think, um, you know, where do you think this bizarre phenomenon comes from, especially when you see people like these students that are like, you know, being like pushed down by chi or energy fields and stuff like that? What, what do you think is going on there with like the psychology of it? Or are they just playing along? Well, the, every culture has their own version of that. Like right. for, you have chi, C-H-I, you have ki, Q-I, you have ki, K-I, you have Tanaga Dalam, you have Ilmu Ladani, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, mm-hmm. So you have all of these different people who have taken advantage of basically religious texts and use them and push them into their martial art as a way of controlling people. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Book of Eli or not, but I love Book of Eli, but the whole purpose of that movie is to understand how powerful religion really is. Religion is an extremely powerful thing. And so look at, for instance, Indonesian Salat. Indonesia, they didn't originally start with the Muslim religion as being their main religion there. That was not how it started. Salat was around before the Muslim religion was brought into the area, just like, you know, how most other religions worked. And back in the day, they were spread. People would go from country to country, state to state, city to city, whatever the case may be, and spread their religion, right? That's just how religions got started. And so whenever the Muslim religion started being spread into that area, Salat at that time had nothing to do with Tanaga Dalam, uh, Debus, Ilmu Ladani. None of that existed in Salat until somebody decided, well, you know, first of all, we're in a third world country and I'm not making fun of them. It's just a fact. It's a very impoverished country. So what do you have to look forward to? Mm -hmm. Why am I doing any of this? I'm still going to be poor. I'm still not going to be able to get out of here. I'm not going to be able to escape the the societal pressures of what's going on here. So what do I do? Well, this guy all of a sudden comes along to you and says, I can give you power, like real power, like superpowers. And at first that might sound strange, but if you've been indoctrinated as a child into believing in something like Tanaga Dalam, which translates to inner power, um, it doesn't sound so far-fetched. And so what happens is over the course of a long period of time, Indonesia has become kind of the standard for what happens when nonsense goes unchecked. Mm. Those people who do that really believe it because they've been indoctrinated at such a young age to believe it. And I've seen some pretty horrific things that I won't discuss on the podcast because I'm sure it'll be a little too much, but you know, kids die because of their belief structures and these supernatural abilities. So they really believe it that I can promise you now. There are certain people out there who I think probably didn't believe it at first, but then used it because they didn't have anybody to tell them no, which I call Steven Seagal syndrome. I know that's like a weird name, but it's just like what I call it. Like you're pretty accurate. Like look at Steven Seagal. Like he's the perfect example of somebody who probably was not delusional, just egotistical that became delusional. So when Steven Seagal first got started, you know, he was working with a producer or a director, I do believe, as a student. You know, he was teaching Aikido at the time, and he was a very well-known Aikido practitioner. And he taught this producer or director who said, hey, man, you'd be good in a movie, which never happens in real life, by the way. <laughs> That'd be great. But anyway, he said, you'd be good in a movie. And so they, they, his first three movies were amazing. They were incredible, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I Love Under Siege, you know, Steven Seagal put out some bangers back in the day. Like his 80s, sure. great. I'll even give him fire down below. <laughs> Like, so Seagal winds up 
you know, kind of becoming this huge action star very quickly. And it's just like anything else, man. If you get money too soon, too fast, and you've never had money, what typically happens is you blow it all (laughs) because you don't know how to manage it. Well, I think that having that level of fame and confidence is the same thing. I think that if you've never been that person to have all that fame and all that attention and all of that real charisma, like not just charisma, but that real like, oh, my God, like I am the man. People keep telling me that. And you never have someone ever ever in your life keep you in check by telling you no. The delusion starts to become real. It's a lie that becomes real. I think that's how what happened to George Dillon, you know, but with Seagal, you can see it like he started off as an action star. And then later on, he starts to get all these like rape allegations and sexual allegations. And then he starts assaulting actors on set, which is very ballsy, you know, but he's, then he becomes this like guy who literally on a, um, an interview called himself God, you know? So when it comes to Seagal, like that probably didn't start off that way, but no one kept them in check. And when you have a guy like George Dillman, who believes he can knock people out with his mind, you know, he didn't start off that way. He was a competitor. He competed, he fought people, you know? He was around one of the the biggest per, one of the biggest names in the world to call out nonsense, Muhammad Ali. You think you're gonna hang around Muhammad Ali and <laughs> call you on your bullshit? Like he yeah. would, you know, it's Ali. It's exactly what he's gonna do. And so when I look at like something like that, it's again people surrounded by yes men. No one's trying to keep them in check. And I think you have to have like you were talking about the purpose of your podcast. You have to have balance. Yeah, you need people in your life to tell you no. You need people in your life to call you on your nonsense. If you lie and someone's in the room that knows you're lying, they should call you a liar. <laughs> like, because that's going to keep you sane. That's going to keep you healthy. That's going to keep you from doing that kind of behavior. And so that's really kind of the purpose of what I'm doing is I'm not trying to offend. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. All I'm trying to do is educate people on what is and what is not realistic. So that way they don't fall victim of an actual cult, which there are plenty of them. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's a great point. And, and it kind of leads me to another question I want to ask is, you know, if um, mom and dad are out there and they're looking to get their kids involved in jujitsu for the first time or, you know, wh- whatever, any kind of martial art, jujitsu seems to be the most popular at the time, but there's still plenty of karate dojos and things like that um, or other forms of martial arts. What what do you think or even maybe they're, they're just themselves, they're trying to start their own kind of practice and, and discipline and fitness and stuff like that. What do you think they should be looking for in a gym or dojo or, or martial arts gym and kind of what are some red flags you think? Well, I always give some everyone the same exact advice whenever they're looking for a new gym, whether they're an adult or a child, because statistically it doesn't matter. It's how almost works out the exact same. So there are uh, there are programs out there like computer software out there that most gyms use like mind body, perfect mind, rainmaker, etc. Right. Well, all of those programs actually have this like really beautiful thing where they've been able to keep track of statistics. And one of the statistics that always stuck out to me was the average time someone trains. And so whether you're a child or an adult, the average time that anyone trains martial arts, most people, that's the majority, right? Mm-hmm. Between a year and a year and a half. That's it, right? And then recently I heard another statistic, it was eight months to a year. Mm -hmm. So when it comes down to it, you're looking at about a year's worth of training. That's one contract and you're out, all right? So if that's the case, the real question is, what are you going to get out of the deal in a year? Mm -hmm. That's really what people should be asking themselves. What is your ultimate goal to reach in a year's time? If you don't have one, you will fail. 
at whatever it is because you didn't make any tangible goals. So that is number one, step one, priority one. Why are you doing this? If you don't have a reason and you don't have a rhyme or reason to get to a certain level, a certain belt, a certain weight, a certain uh, match, a tournament, a gold medal, if you don't have an actual tangible goal, you will quit. So why even try? Just might as well just wait, don't waste your money. But if you have a real goal, all right, cool. That's step one. Step two, take as many trial classes as you can in Mm. a month. So every school provides you a trial class. Every one of them does. Now, there are two different types of trial classes. There's a free trial class and there's a paid trial class. Do both. Like, I promise you the people who are doing the paid trials, those schools are less of a McDojo. And I know people are thinking, oh, man, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you charging for like a free class? Because it shouldn't be free. Mm -hmm. None of us ever do any job that is our actual career for free, except for martial arts instructors. That is the dumbest thing on the planet. And so what that typically means is, If you're dealing with a gym that does a lot of free trials, this is not always the case. So this is not always the case. But majority of the time, as someone who does business consulting for schools, their mats are not as clean as they could be. Their equipment is not as up to date. They have somebody working behind the counter completely free. They have instructors working there completely free. Bathrooms are typically dirty. They don't have enough cleaning supplies. They don't have the proper insurance. All of those things cost money. And so when you have all these free trial classes coming in, you typically don't have as much money coming in. Right. And by the way, how much you pay or how little you pay does have has literally dick to do with how good the instructor is. I'm glad you make that point. So like people think, oh my God, well, they're charging, so there must be a McDojo. No, that means somewhere along the line, they're doing something financially correct. So they did the research to get good at another skill. I look at it that way. Someone over here who's saying, oh, that's a McDojo. They charge too much. Most likely that person is just lazy as shit. Mm-hmm. They just do not want to learn the business side of the industry. And they will make every excuse to say they're the toughest or they're the best. That is not necessarily the case. So really, it boils down to what are your personal goals? So whether you go to a free trial or a paid trial, try them both. Right. And if you've never trained, split those up. Do one class on a Monday. Give your body some time to rest. Do another one on a Thursday or a Friday. And then repeat the process. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen is you're going to boil it down to a couple gems. And they do not have to be specific arts, especially for children. In your mind, you would think, oh, I want my kid to be able to defend himself. He's four. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. got done crapping his pants only several months ago. Still might do it. (laughs) Set the standard for what your standard is. Simply ask the kid. Remember, they're probably going to drop in a year. So if you really want them to stay in any activity, make them do an activity or let them do the activity that is fun for them. They will practice it more. They will want to show up. They will fight you less. And you can use that as leverage whenever you want to say, hey, man, you got to get your grades up or you can't go back to karate. So there is a lot to be said with giving a kid something that they enjoy. Yeah. Let's say hypothetically they started in Taekwondo and it's a Taekwondo that you yourself cannot stand, but the kid absolutely loves it. After a year, you can say, hey, do you want to try something else or do you want to stay? If they decide to stay, guess what? You just made your kid less than a statistic. You just let your kid train for longer than the average person does. If they want to quit and go somewhere else, hey, cool. Now you can kind of start weaning them towards like, let's try something a little different. See if you like that. You know, so the ultimate goal here is to provide something of value that will help you reach your goals or your children's goals. Then finally, look at the bathroom. You need to look no further in any martial arts studio than the bathroom to find out how you will be treated most of the time. 
If there is pee all over that bathroom on your first day, just understand that's the surface. That right. is one little scratch at the surface of what the major issues will be. A good martial arts facility is clean because they do not want you to get staph infection. They do not want you to get some type of something that got wiped off on the mat. They want to make sure that your safety is paramount. And so if the bathroom is super duper dirty all the time, you should probably not be there. Just a suggestion. And there will be old school people listening to this and going, man, I won't go into a gym unless it smells like feet. Well, go to that gym. <laughs> Have fun. It'll be you and like five dudes. And you can all like circle jerk each other about how awesome you are at martial arts. But the truth is, at the end of the day, a good facility is clean and safe and it helps you reach your personal goals. And that is not always how to beat people up. Hey, man, I think that's I couldn't have asked you to give a better uh, response to that question. There, you've got some great points there. Uh, I especially love the whole, you know, uh, for your kids, making sure that they enjoy it, you know, because it, it seems like I'm not a, I'm not a dad, I'm not a parent, but it just seems like the more you try to force, especially kids um, into something, even if you think it's good for them or they're going to benefit from it, man, if they're not having fun doing it, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to cling on to it. They're not going to keep going. You know, I um, got interviewed a year, like it was a while back, man, that it was actually for this. So it was in a century martial arts magazine for their, uh, it's like their apparel and stuff like that, but they did mm -hmm. like a two-page write-up. But they also, on top of this, they went to each person that they did a write-up for and brought a camera crew and did an interview. And they never aired my interview because they wanted me to talk specifically about all the benefits of martial arts. And every time we would talk about it, I would always put a preface to it because I believe <laughs> it's true, which is martial arts is great and it does have benefits. But let's be honest, man, if your kid wanted to do tap dancing and that's what they really love to do, they're going to get a lot of the same benefits. Now, they're not going to get the self-defense out of it, right? But they will get confidence. They will right. make friends. They will feel like they're belonging to something. They will have a hobby that keeps them out of trouble. Like a lot of those benefits you're going to get at any other hobby, right? So mm -hmm. Century didn't like that answer. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good but it's a good point, you know, and martial arts isn't, isn't for everyone. But um, me as a strength conditioning coach and working with with a lot of people that are trying to get back into fitness, you know, a lot of guys in their thirties and forties uh, and just seeing how a lot of parents are frustrated at their kids gaining, you know, sedentary lifestyle and gaining weight, you know, anything that you can put your kid in that they enjoy that they're starting to be physically active. You're setting those patterns for them just to have a healthier and happier lifestyle overall. If they can start those patterns early, you know, regardless of whether it's martial arts or not. For sure. We shouldn't, First of all, I, I'm not a parent, but I've been teaching kids for a very long time. And one thing that I cannot stand is when parents project their own personal goals. <laughs> oh, man. Like, you will do this. Like, come on, dude. Just because you failed at high school wrestling doesn't mean you need to be all over your kid, right? right? Like, at the end of the day, do you really want what's best for your kid? Well, ask them. Like, and I know that obviously there are certain things like nutrition, like, and things like that, that you might have to guide them and they might not be so happy with, right? But when it comes to just a hobby, who are you to tell them what hobby they will enjoy? That's right. not hobbies work. <laughs> like, yeah. and here's, here's a prime example for anybody, whether you're a ch child or whether you're an adult, right? No one watches season four, episode five of a show that sucked ass on the pilot episode. <laughs> Yeah. You, you stop watching when the show sucks, yeah. right? Life is the same way. You stop doing the thing that sucks. And so if you're forcing someone into a situation and you're making it suck, they will fight you. Mm -hmm. Like it should be enjoyable. Like, and if it's not, 
don't do it. Like, why? Yeah. You know? Well, I can even think of my own experience just, just anecdotally that, um, and now as an adult, I love music. I play guitar, I've got a little home studio, you know, stuff like that. It's one of my hobbies. And I like, I like martial arts too, working, working in the military and in law enforcement, you know, you have to train the physical side of it because it's part of your job too. Um, and I, and I love doing it. Um, but I just remember as a kid, my mom tried to get me to take piano lessons and I didn't enjoy it and wanted nothing to do with it. My parents are cool and they never forced me to do anything. But I think back and I'm like, man, if I had stuck with that, I would be so much further ahead in musicianship and understanding music theory and stuff. And the same thing, my dad took me to a judo class a couple of times when I was a kid. And I guess I didn't, I didn't like getting thrown around and getting my ass handed to me <laughs> as a little kid. And, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't stick with it, but I think back on it now, I was like, man, if I had just, just thought a little differently about it and committed to it for a little bit longer, I would probably be way further ahead in how I understand and comprehend martial arts, but you know, hindsight's 2020. So. Yeah. But that wasn't who you were. Oh, so not at that time. Yeah. You can look back and say what you, how you feel now, but how you yeah. felt then you probably would have given a different result. You probably oh, yeah. would have fought it harder and you know, you would have, you would have not had the life that you've led now, had you gone back and tried to force yourself into a situation you hated. Very it's, true. Like, you know, I think that that's something that it's like you were saying, hindsight is 2020, but we always forget that we're not the same person when we're kids. We're not right. the same person. Hell, I'm not the same dude I was a year ago. <laughs> yeah, it's Hopefully, true. Learning in life, you do change and evolve and become someone different. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's nothing wrong with evolving in some way, shape or form or hell, just changing your mind. There's food. I would have fucking hated like years ago. Right. I try yeah. it again. Like, damn, that's actually pretty good. My taste buds have changed. You know, there's music that I listen to now that I hated back in the day. And now I hear it and it's nostalgia for me. And right. so it triggers a different part of my brain to now go, oh man, that's actually not that bad. And I hated that song. <laughs> you know? So like we change as people and it's okay to do that. And especially yeah. children, like yeah. your kid is going to change very quickly over and over and over again, over the course of a very short amount of time. So why not give them an opportunity to at least be in a relationship with you as an adult, a parent, to have them know that you will support them, even if you don't agree with them, you know, like, okay, well, I don't agree that you necessarily want to do tap dancing instead of karate, but that's okay. You know, like, let's try it, you know, and then and that will be there and I'll be here for you whenever you want to try it, you know, like, and then maybe when your kid's like 16 years old, he won't hate your guts, and <laughs> hate your car. I don't know. Just tossing it out there. No, I love it, man. Great points. Great points. Um, so something else I wanted to kind of ask you too, since you're so involved in watching the community and, and, you know, you advise for, for martial arts, uh, you know, different, different gyms and stuff like that. Do you think we're watching kind of the extinction of traditional martial arts when it comes to, you know, traditional style of judo, traditional style of karate, taekwondo, and as mixed martial arts has become kind of the more domineering force, at least, especially in American culture? No. I think that you're seeing an evolution. Mm -hmm. I think that when we looked at 1993 and when the UFC started, it changed the entire landscape of the way the martial arts community operated. 93 was such a humongous moment that we were able to live through. Like it was almost overlooked as such a monumental moment. Cause I mean, people look at that back in the day and back in the day during that time, it was getting every piece of pushback ever. I mean, it was getting pushed back legally because it was being called human cockfighting. 
traditional martial artists were saying that it wasn't fair. The rule set was built for something else, like, which was funny because back then, you know, like the rule set was pretty much, there were none, (laughs) you know, but there was a lot of pushback because there was something major going on there. And then I don't think that we really got to experience the fruit of that until recently, you know, Mm -hmm. like everyone else who was laying the groundwork for where we are today, they weren't getting rid of or making extinct traditional martial arts. What they were doing was they were forcing martial arts to evolve or die. Mm. Like look at karate, for instance, like back in the day, I want to say like roughly around the 2000s, almost everybody and people still do this because they're uneducated morons, but they'd be like, oh, karate's dumb. Which one? There are (laughs) over like there are like 2000 different versions of karate. Which one? So like when people just say generic crap like that, I always just look at them and just my nose bleeds with the stupidity that's coming off of them. But like now when you see guys like Stephen Thompson, Raymond Daniels, Leota Machida, GSP, Boz Rutten, oh wait, they all did karate? That's crazy right. talk, right? And what happened was those guys were able to evolve the art to make the art work in a more mixed martial arts setting. And they were able to be very, very, very good at it at a high level. And so what that did was it forced karate to step up its game. Jiu-jitsu was no different. And jiu-jitsu, the beautiful thing about jiu-jitsu was it was the proving ground in, in UFC 1, but then it has become something that is evolving on its own outside of mixed martial arts. Right. You have things like EBI. I mean, ADCC is great. You have like a combat jiu-jitsu, right? And so you have jiu-jitsu in itself evolving in its own right. I mean, hell, the whole 10th planet system is in our lifetime, you know, like right. so that means that there is an evolution in jujitsu. There is an evolution in karate. There is also an evolution in taekwondo. So you have these evolving arts. These are options. So if any art is not evolving, it's not extinction. It's suicide. They're choosing not to evolve. If they're they want, if you want to be a ninja and wear ninja garb which by the way, they didn't wear black because that wasn't really a thing back then. It was more like a gray. But like, if you really want to be a LARPer, be a LARPer, right? But you have to understand that that's not an evolution. You're no longer a ninja doing century dismemberments. Oh my God, I have to sneak behind this person and grab them and kill them. When? When are you ever going to do it? You're not. You're never going to do that shit, right? Like, are you in the military? Well, that's a different story. You're going to do military shit with a gun. Right. You're probably not going to sneak up behind them predator style and stab them in the neck. <laughs> right. And so, like this fantasy land, some people like because it is devoid of reality. Some people need that in their life. And that's okay. Just understand that that's not reality. Like, if you want to do a keto, there is nothing wrong with that. You just have to understand that it is not evolving because simply no one is choosing to evolve it. They are still wearing hakama right? Which is okay. Like you want to wear the Hakama, that's cool, right? You want to do that? That's cool. Do you like Aikido? Do you feel that it benefits you? That's all awesome. But don't fantasize and think that that art has been evolving. It simply has not, Right. you know, like at least even in things like Wing Chun, you have guys who are trying to work on Pak Sao, Lap Sao, Bong Sao, Tan Sao, Jut Sao. They're working on these things to try to evolve and use that, you know? Okay. Well, there's some evolution. It's not a big evolution, but there's some. Right. You know, if if an art chooses at this point to not grow and modernize itself and keep up, then what's wind up happening is it's just committing suicide. I don't think that's extinction because extinction is when other things kill you, not sure. when you choose to kill yourself. Mm-hmm.
No, it's a great articulation. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a cool time to be involved in the martial arts community and see how things because it's it's like moving quickly too. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about Taekwondo evolution, and some people might have only thought about combat sports, but I mean, look at guys like I think it's the eighty-seven eleven guys, you know, uh, the the stunt teams, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, like martial arts stunts nowadays. Like yeah. if you just look at the movie Tron, like not the eighties version, but the remake that they yeah. did. The almost all of that like high flying kicking that you see in that movie Tron, that's not on wires. Mm-hmm. Those guys legitimately can do that stuff. You have guys like Anis Sharufa, who was like, can literally fucking fly. Like you watch that dude guy do acrobatic kicking and it blows your mind. You right. like gravity doesn't apply to these people. But that was because of guys like Matt Emig and Daniel Sterling and David Douglas and all of these up-and-comers who were teaching, like, literally watch Street Fighter. They watched the game. <laughs> they saw Guile do a jump right. in the game, and they were like, I think I can do that. And then they just tried. And, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, they were like, well, what else can we do? And they yeah. literally made tricking in, like, the 90s because of watching video games. Right. That, a video game evolved Taekwondo. Sure. Or karate. You know, look at Michael Venom Page. You know, Michael Venom Page is another great example of a sport karate guy who's evolving his art, you know? So, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. Not everything has to do with beating people up because I promise you the guys who are out there right now who are like, I want to learn how to fight. That's great. All right, that's very cool. And you can make fun of all the kata people all you want, but I can tell you this as somebody who looks at every art, the kata people are going to make way more money than you. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to become a stunt person. They're going to go to Hollywood. They're going to make bank. And then you're going to get punched in the head a lot. And then probably eventually even getting to the higher echelons still might not make very good money, you right. know, but you beat them up. Right. But tell them that as they drive past you in their Corvette. You yeah. Know? And you're, you're trying to figure out why your life is a mess. Cause you're dealing with like a hundred TBIs. <laughs> hey man, I, you know, just because I keep saying I'm, I introducing myself like 15 times in a row doesn't mean I have CTE. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I appreciate the narrative. I really do, man. Um, so question for you, what, what direction is uh, McDojo Life headed in? Where do you kind of want to take the content moving forward? Well, I have a couple projects I'm working on. So one, I've been writing a book about my time, uh, really about a very specific time in my life um, when I was going through fight nights. They were smoker fights in a local bar, a club called Plush. Um, and I started fighting in those when I was 15 years old. And it was a 21 and up club. <laughs> so like... And anybody could sign up the night of to fight. And so I would just go in there and I would like, the only reason I was even allowed in there was because the promoter was my instructor. And so with me, he was like, if you get your mom to sign a waiver, I'll let you. (laughs) But he was like, you can fight, but you have to be the first fight and you have to leave afterwards, which eventually turned into, okay, you can fight, but you have to help me set up the ring. And then you have to leave after your first fight. And then it became no one stopped to help break down the ring at the end of the night. So then it was, you can stay all night, but you have to help me take down the ring at the end of the night. So that was like from the time I was like 15 to the time I was like roughly about 19 or 20 um, participating in those events. And they did two on two fights, three on three fights. We had one on two fights, one on three fights. Uh, We had something called Thunderdome rules, which was uh, you get in there, there was one round and it didn't end until someone quit or uh, got knocked out. Um, So it was wild, man. Uh, But I rec- we, they recorded every one of those nights. Whoa, that's wild. I had them all recorded from start to finish. They set up a camera in the corner every night. And so I had them all. And so now I'm just like 
writing a book about all my experiences through that time. And uh, so that's one thing. Um, and then, you know, we're working on a video game right now. Okay. So we're working on a video game where everyone in the game is actually really bad at martial arts. <laughs> uh, so I love it. Where uh, every character is based off of like a bunch like an of actual, yeah. yeah like, well, not just one person, like each character is based off of like kind of a hodgepodge of a couple. Sure. Um, so we have like a, a George Dillman type character who believes like big fat guy out of shape. Who this is this is very like adult swim kind of it makes me think of metalocalypse you know like it's it's, it's, it's that's a bit you yeah know? for sure that sounds but, awesome every every martial arts video game always has like the the tournament every martial sure. arts fighting game always has a tournament for some reason so we decided to go different it's basically about a guy who's literally just going from dojo to dojo taking free trial classes <laughs> it sounds like me <laughs> and then when he takes the class they uh, wind up teaching some nonsense martial arts and he calls them out on it and then they fight. <laughs> and then if you lose, you wind up signing the check and becoming a part of their gym and the game starts over. But if you win, eventually you will, you know, open up your own dojo where you have never trained martial arts a day in your life. And the irony is, is that you started a dojo without knowing what you're doing. You just <laughs> beat up the other frauds. So the cycle continues. Uh, wow. That's awesome. I can't wait for that. I, the book, the book sounds really good. I, I want to get my hands on that, but the game just sounds hilarious. Any, anytime you can you can kind of like self parody and, and make fun of the things that you're heavily involved and passionate about. I think it makes for some of the best comedy, especially, and I know, especially guys from like the, the military and, and the law enforcement community have a really sense, dark sense of humor. So we're really good at being involved in that kind of self, uh, self-inflicted uh, wounding through, through humor as well. Well, self-deprecation never, well, I guess it hurt people, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's coping. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. But, uh, what we did uh, speak with Amazon and Hulu. We did film a documentary at the beginning of last year for three months about fraud mm -hmm. in the industry, like really diving into the cult nature of everything, talking with doctors, talking with psychologists, psychiatrists, talking with people who really were cult experts, not only from people who were cult leaders. Yeah. Um, we talked to cult victims and we also talked to cult experts. And while we were going through all of this, um, we were finally able to pick up a talent agency called UTA. Um, and so they're representing our film right now and they took it out. We were able to have a meeting with Hulu and Amazon Hulu passed, which blows, but that's okay. Um, so now we're just waiting on Amazon. And then if we do not get picked up by December, because we've been working on the project for so long, um, I just refuse to put out something half-assed. Sure. Um, can't like that. The whole, it's supposed to be bigger than just me. So it needs to go out so people can see it so people can learn. And so we, um, we're going to take it. And if we don't get picked up by December 1st, we're going to take it over on our own to finish everything, editing, uh, animations, music, sound, everything on our own. And then we're going to try to get it out to music festivals starting this next year. Um, and then hopefully it'll do well in a music festival and then it'll get picked up. But, you know, that's a that's us really putting our uh, everything on the line there to say, hey, sure. you know, if it does well in the music, if it does well in the festivals, then it winds up putting us in a position where we can actually win awards, we can get picked up, and then it'll open different doors. So yeah. we're open. Well, that sounds like a great strategy. I mean, some of the some of the best stuff that comes out there comes more from a grassroots movement. So I uh, I wish you success on that. And I hope I hope it gets picked up, but um, by Amazon. But if it doesn't, it sounds like you get a great strategy to get people to see it, and they can they can learn really about what's what's kind of going on behind the curtain with a lot of the stuff within the martial arts community. Yeah, we filmed gold, man. We have we have such good shots and experiments that we did. 
I mean, we got to go to the Martial Arts History Museum, which is really cool. Like mm-hmm. you know, it's in Burbank, California, if you ever get a chance to go, I highly suggest it because it's a smaller place, man. But mm-hmm. it is just a wealth of martial arts amazingness in this little area. Um, and the guy who runs it was really polite to us. And he gave us like this like history lesson on where gi tops come from, mm-hmm. like, how the belt systems got started. Like we even uh, we even caught him on one thing and he was so cool about it. So we like asked him uh, during the, the 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 time there. We were like, "Well, what do you think about registering your hands as deadly weapons?" And he was like, "Oh, that's nonsense. It's never been a real thing." Like literally a week later, because we have one guy. Since we're doing a documentary, we have a guy just fact checking everything we're doing. He's just on the computer, like looking, researching, researching, researching. And he came across apparently there is a place in the world that you do have to register your hands as deadly weapons. It is a real thing in wow. Guam. So if you were in Guam, you can call them. They're equivalent of their tax collector's office. You can call them and register your hands and your feet as deadly weapons, which we did in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And does that require you to have some sort of qualification within martial arts or or as a professional fighter? Or it's just, no, if you think if you think you were qualified as a deadly weapon, you can register yourself. There is a qualification. So there's two qualifications. One, in order to get there, you actually have to be a resident of Guam. Okay, obviously, right. They even let us get the paperwork was simply because we were doing the documentary. and We we have to follow back up because I still never got my certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Your license. Uh, uh, Yeah, man. But they they have a registry. It started in 91. You can look it up. Um, uh, The only other requirement is that you've received one promotion in whatever you've done. Okay. So like if you're a yellow belt, right, if you've only if you've gotten one rank in whatever it is that you do, you're considered a deadly weapon by Guam standards and you can register your hands and or your feet um, and you will be a deadly weapon officially and register as such. So be careful, because if you get in trouble, I'm sure. Yeah, not a good thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, Rob, I got to ask you with this being the Warrior Monk podcast, um, you know, we talked about the, the theme being balanced, but when you hear the term Warrior Monk, uh, what do you think of and how do you define that term? Well, I, uh, you know, it's funny because I always consider myself a violent pacifist. Mm, violent like, hippie. <laughs> well, kind of like I'm not really a hippie, you know, but uh, like I'm very much a pacifist, right? So at the end of the day, like I don't like altercations. Mm-hmm. I don't like fighting people that I'm not getting paid to fight. Um, I do like fighting people. I do get paid, <laughs> but like, I, you know, for the most part, like violence, I think is a tool. And I think that it's an important thing for people to understand, but the more you understand it, the less you want to do it. For instance, um, I used to do these things called mat chats at the end of when I taught classes, when I owned my own school. And at the end of every class, I would talk about one of what we've had, which was the 12 rules to live by, which is one of the, you know, m- more of the philosophical side of martial arts, I guess you could say. And so I taught kids about like, you know, basic manners. And Mm -hmm. one of those things was about respecting other people's opinions. But the other conversation we would have is about violence. And violence is simply a tool. And it could be a very dangerous tool, but it is a necessity. It is a tool that you should be proficient at. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be violent person to be proficient at violence. That is different. That's being angry, being Mm -hmm. Violence means that you have the ability to implement your will against someone else who's physically trying to hurt you in a way that will diffuse the situation and stop it at any and all costs. That's violence. And so if someone's attacking me and I put them to sleep and choke them, I understand that that was not like a nice thing to do, but it diffuses the situation. They'll be okay. They'll wake up. They'll be fine. Maybe they peed themselves. That's their own fault. But when it comes down to it, everything in your kitchen can kill you. (laughs) 
Think about it. Yeah. If you take a toaster and plug it in next to your sink, fill the sink up with water and toss the toaster in and stick your hand in, you're a dead person, right? You put metal in your microwave, it might burn your house down. You put the wrong thing in your oven, it sets a fire. You put your hand on a hot stove, it burns you. You run with a fork, it stabs you in the eye, you die. You run with a knife, it stabs you anywhere, you die, right? So almost everything, your blender, your garbage disposal, all of these things can kill you and or your kids. So the real question is, how come you're not dead? Mm -hmm. If there are so many things that can kill you in your kitchen, why aren't you dead? It's because you understood what the tools were used for. Mm -hmm. Your kid's not running around with the knife all the time unless they're a psycho because you taught them what it was for. This is the time and the place we use the knife. This is the time and the place we use the microwave. This is how we use the microwave. This is why you don't put your hand on the hot stove. And if you do, you will learn very quickly not to do that again, right? So violence is a tool just like that. There is a time and a place for it. It doesn't need to be all the time. And that's where that pacifism comes into play, right? I guess then your, your terminology, that's where the monk comes into play, right? So you don't, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. And so when it comes down to it, being proficient at something is all about understanding the time and the place when you should do it. I don't just jump on the floor in the middle of a McDonald's and start swimming on the floor because that's not the time and the place you swim. You'd look like a crazy person, right? So that's one of the things that I think people should really understand, especially when it comes to learning about martial arts is, yeah, you can be proficient at violence, but if you're using it all the time, you're not proficient at violence. You're just a dick, right? And so you have to understand times and places to use things. And so talking about like the, the tools in the kitchen, that's something that I would talk to about with the parents and the kids in my classes, like, look, if you're anti-violence or if you're anti-this and anti-that, that's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you do have to understand there is a time and a place for everything. And there is a time and a place for violence, especially when someone's being violent towards you. Then sure. you're not good at it. You didn't practice it. It will show and you will get hurt. So times and places, I guess. that's a, To me, that's why I'm a violent pacifist. Proficient at violence, but would much rather not you know? Well said, my friend. That's uh, I, that's the first time I've gotten that response, but it 100% matches up. So I appreciate your take on it. Um, next question is who's influencing you right now? And this could be, you know, someone personal within your community, or it could be someone you're reading, you know, podcaster, something of that nature. Man, I got to tell you, I go live like every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and when I do, I do that on Instagram. And one of the things I've been doing ever since Instagram allowed this is I talk to anyone who wants to join live and I learn something every time. Sure. <laughs> so like, to be honest, like everyone who comes on and chit chats with me, like I learn something every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. <laughs> so like, I mean, when it comes down to influences, man, I've been very fortunate over the years to have people who were really give a damn, like mm -hmm. they will take the time. Like, you know, guys like Dean Lister has been nothing but cool to me. You know, Jocko has been really cool to me. Um, you know, we don't really, we're not having like full blown conversations and stuff, yeah. but every interaction that we have had has been nothing but great. Um, you know, like obviously, you know, I met Rogan one time recently, I shook his hand and that was pretty much it. But, you know, for a dude who, you know, does nothing but help me, like out of nowhere, yeah, yeah. nice things. And I'm like, thanks, man. Like <laughs> the shout outs, the shout yeah, outs help for sure. Conversation, but I appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, so I think that there's influences coming in from all over, man. But I think that we all have that. If we just listen and pay attention to our surroundings, you can learn something from everybody. hundred percent. That's a great answer as well. Um, 
Well, man, I'll give you the the final word. If there's anything else you want to say. Um, I mean, I guess I'm going to plug myself real fast. I mean, please do. Yeah. Today, like we, we have like 400 and something thousand followers on Instagram or whatnot, but I'm really trying to grow our YouTube. YouTube is where we're okay. putting a lot of emphasis on our original content. Um, I do breakdowns. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who think the people I post are just faking it to get on the, the page. Um, no. <laughs> uh, just go look at the breakdowns we do on YouTube and you will see that these people have a long history of fraud or, you know, doing ill will in the community. I, they are not just making it up to get on the page. As a matter of fact, if you saw how many death threats and how much hate mail I got. Oh, from yeah, me, I'm sure you would definitely know that they're not making it. They don't want to be on my page. I promise you. So um, but I definitely suggest people go over to our YouTube channel and check out our original content. That's where I put in a lot of time, a lot of effort to make sure that I'm able to educate people. Besides like the 30 second to minute clips that I post on Instagram, you can learn a lot over there. And that's where I put a lot of time and effort. Awesome. And that's just on YouTube at McDojo? Yeah, McDojo Life. You can check it out McDojo there. McDojo Life. Awesome. Well, hey, Rob, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, man. I appreciate this conversation. appreciate your perspective and all the experience you've had from within the community and uh, your time today, man. So thanks again so much. Yeah, dude. Thank you for having me. And there you guys have it. Rob from McDojo Life. He was a great guest. I love this conversation with him. He brought up some great points about what's going on within the martial arts community and some great ideas and things to think about if you're looking to get involved with a martial arts gym, which I highly encourage anyone, even if you just go to one of those free classes he talked about to kind of learn a little bit about what the martial arts community is all about and um, maybe start your own pathway towards uh, working in, in, in around the martial arts community, whether it's for your own self-defense discipline or for your own fitness. Uh, you can go check him out on YouTube at Nick Dojo Life or also on Instagram. He's got a bunch of videos that kind of pull from the strange, bizarre, and weird from within the martial arts community internationally, as well as some really good breakdown videos on YouTube regarding um, actual things in martial arts and some comedic value as well as some real practical stuff that's in there as well. I would also invite you to please go to Spotify or Apple or wherever you might have pulled this podcast from and leave us a review. Uh, Leave us up to a five-star review if you feel like it's deserving of such. And if you'd like to share this podcast with a fellow warrior bunk, please also go check out the show's Instagram and Facebook page at the Warrior Monk Podcast. Like and subscribe and stand by and look out for more content in the near future. This is Lance from the Warrior Monk Podcast. Signing out. Let's continue to grow through balance. It's what we're all about.